The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts. Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all Scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance, which is Jesus. In this episode, we continue our study of types and shadows with the story of Jacob's ladder. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we open your word and study your message, that we would be as eager to meet and fellowship with you as you are to fellowship with us. I pray that you would purify and prepare our hearts and minds now to receive your word 
and to understand what you would say to us. May what we hear, learn, know, and receive be used to glorify your name. In Jesus' name, I pray. In our current episode, we begin where our previous episode entitled Jacob and Esau left off. In Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, we read, quote, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. Unquote. Now, in order to give context to our typological lesson, we need to digress briefly to Genesis chapter 21, verse 22, where Abraham was living in a location known as the southern part of Palestine, between the Mediterranean Sea and the southern end of the Dead Sea, which at the time was Philistine territory. During that time, Abraham was prospering well, so much so that Abimelech, the Philistine king, and Phicol, his chief captain, noticed. Here's how verse 22 records it. Quote, and it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest, unquote. Abraham's success was so evident that Abimelech was nervous and requested a covenant with him to prevent future problems as a result, as recorded in verse 23. Quote, now therefore swear unto me here by God that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me and to the land where thou hast sojourned." Unquote. Upon Abimelech's request, Abraham grants the oath, but goes on to take issue with Abimelech regarding a previous incident wherein Philistines had forcibly taken a well belonging to Abraham. Abimelech claims that he was not aware of any such incident. Eventually, in verses 29 through 31, Abraham separates seven ewe lambs as a witness that Abraham dug the well in question and that it belongs to him. Quote, and Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called the place Beersheba, because they swear both of them." Unquote. So the well belonging to Abraham, which he dug by his own hand, was called Beersheba, which literally means, quote, well of the oath, unquote, or, quote, well of seven, unquote. From here, Jacob left en route to Haran, which means, quote, to burn, be hot, be scorched, or be charred, unquote. In uh, Genesis chapter 28, verses 11 and 12, we continue our episode and read, quote, And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows, and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it." Unquote. Verse 13 through 15 continues, saying, quote, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac. 
the land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and I will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of." Unquote. In verses 16 and 17, we read of Jacob's reaction regarding his dream as he awakes. Quote, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven." Unquote. Finally, we close out chapter 28 with verses 18 through 22, which read, quote, And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat, and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee." Unquote. Having initially read Genesis chapter 28, we could be satisfied to come away with the cursory Sunday school summary that Jacob left home en route to Haran to find a wife. While on the way, Jacob stayed overnight in or near Luz, where he fell asleep and had a dream of a ladder with angels climbing up and down and received a reiteration of God's promise to make his family great and blessed. Jacob woke up, built an altar from a stone, continued on his way to Haran. If that's it, then fine. God's word never returns void. We have God's promise reiterated to Jacob. We have an interesting and awe-inspiring dream given to Jacob. All is well. But the question is, is that all? Is there perhaps more? I always like to dig a bit deeper and turn over a little dirt just to see what's under the surface. In particular, since Jesus is the focus of redemptive history, it's always interesting to put him in the middle of otherwise innocuous stories and see what happens. So let's camp here with Jacob briefly and see what else there may be. To begin with, even a cursory look at the English rendering of the story without anything more itself seems to hint at something going on which does not meet the eye. First, we have this curious use of the term, quote, certain place, unquote, in verse 11. We are told in verse 19 that the, quote, certain place, unquote, in question was at, or near a place originally called Luz. So why not just say Luz in verse 11? Why say a, quote, certain place, unquote? Second, upon initially going to bed, Jacob is said to, quote, 
gather stones, unquote, in the plural for epelo, while in verse 18, Jacob arises and takes the, quote, stone, unquote, in the singular that he had put for his pillows and set up for a pillar singular to pour oil on it and build an altar. Thirdly, in verse 16 and 17, Jacob awakes and seems to react to his dream in a way that suggests that it is almost as if, despite being 70 plus years old and coming from a family that is very familiar with God, that this is the first time he has really met God. His very statement saying, quote, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not, unquote, seems to suggest either that the, quote, place, unquote, that God's presence was extremely strong in this particular place more than any other. This again would tend to dovetail with the strange usage of the term, quote, certain place, unquote, in verse 11. Next, we have six interesting insights based upon the original Hebrew words. First, in verse 11, there is the word translated, quote, lighted upon, unquote, which comes from a Hebrew word meaning, quote, to encounter, meet, reach, entreat, make intercession, light upon, or join, unquote. Second, there is the Hebrew word makom, translated, quote, certain place, unquote, which is a performative noun which represents the physical location where something is or ought to be. Strong's Hebrew Dictionary defines makom to be generally, specifically, or even figuratively as, quote, standing place, station, post, or office, unquote. Third, we have the Hebrew word translated, quote, tarried or lodged, unquote. While this is a correct definition, the underlying and accompanying sense is that the lodging or tarrying in question is something negative or obstinate about the one lodging. Fourth, we have the word translated Bethel. The word Bethel is a contraction of two Hebrew words, quote, Beth, unquote, meaning, quote, house, unquote, and, quote, El, unquote, meaning, quote, God, unquote. Thus, Bethel means, quote, house of God, unquote. We can either attribute this naming to a simple euphemistic excitement on Jacob's part, or we can perhaps take the naming to have a more substantial and profound meaning. Fifth, we have the word translated dream, which can be interpreted in an ordinary or a prophetic way. Lastly, sixth, we have the Hebrew word translated, quote, lose, unquote, meaning, quote, almond tree, unquote. The almond tree is the first tree to blossom in spring. In scripture, the almond tree is symbolic of God's watchfulness and faithfulness. Next, perhaps most of interest, are the various rabbinic comments found in various sources regarding the text above. 
In looking at the Aramaic Targums as an introduction to chapter 28, we find the following tradition, which actually takes us well into chapter 29 of Genesis. Quote, Five miracles were wrought for our father Jacob at the time that he went forth from Beersheba. The first sign, the hours of the day were shortened, and the sun went down before his time, forasmuch as the word had desired to speak with him. The second sign, the four stones which Jacob had set for his pillow, he found in the morning, had become one stone. Sign the third, the stone which, when all the flocks were assembled, they rolled from the mouth of the well, he rolled away with one of his arms. The fourth sign, the well overflowed, and the water rose to the edge of it, and continued to overflow all the days that he was in Haran. The fifth sign, the country was shortened before him, so that in one day he went forth and came to Haran." Unquote. Some of this seems vague and ambiguous until one researches further into additional Jewish commentaries. While there are one or more, the primary focus seems to be a reoccurring belief regarding the, quote, certain place, unquote, which Jacob names the, quote, house of God, unquote, or i.e. Bethel. In one tradition, it is said that Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. Upon reaching Haran, he realized that he had bypassed Mount Moriah, i.e. the Temple Mount, without praying there as was done by his father and grandfather. After Jacob decided to return to Mount Moriah, God performed a miracle and had the earth, quote, fold, unquote, itself in such a way that Jacob was able to reach Mount Moriah on the same day. In other words, Jacob reached Luz, and Mount Moriah itself miraculously traveled to meet him there. Though Jacob ended up having the dream at Mount Moriah, the actual physical location was Luz, named Bethel, because of that temporary visit of the future location of the Temple Mount. Regarding the stones, plural, which Jacob assembled for a palo, some rabbinic commentaries believe that these stones were particular or special stones associated as being the equivalent of foundation stones to the creation of the world. Some commentaries say that there were specifically four stones which became one singular stone. In order to explain the transition from the stones being referred to in the plural to the singular, the explanation is lodged that the stones fused together and became one stone. Now, it is clear that the above traditions are somewhat difficult to seriously accept as anything other than literary fancy. At the same time, it is also clear that in Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 17, the word makum is repeated five times in chapter 28, from verses 10 through 17. In these seven verses of Scripture, some Jewish rabbis are confident that the word makum, or, quote, certain place, unquote, refers to Mount Moriah and implies the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. While it would perhaps be wise to take the above with a grain of salt, 
it would also be worthwhile to keep in mind the various observations made to now in connection with these rabbinic traditions. It is likely that some of them are embellishments given to explain the unusual words and phrases given in chapter 28. At the same time, we have the account of Genesis 28, which seems clearly standing ready as God's word to communicate to us. As we have seen, all too often, God's word communicates on many levels, and it seems always prone to speak to us of the central work of Christ. If so, we should not be too rash in dismissing another possible type pointing to that substance. Looking at the Targums, it is clear that opposed to the idea that Jacob was simply on a routine trip to Haran and spent the night in the desert and had a strange dream, that God orchestrated the episode as a means to communicate with Jacob. If so, it is apparent that the information being communicated must have been important. It is also possible, as I stated, that by extension, God is communicating with all his people. Now, without being dogmatic, I personally can see a type here which points once again to its substance. If you will recall, in our story, Jacob is leaving the home which he has known all his life. In this case, Jacob begins in earnest his journey to find his bride and by extension to continue to the promised land, i.e. heaven. Thus, this appears to be a vignette where Jacob's home with Isaac and Rebekah is the type of this world. Esau remains cast as the type of the flesh from which Jacob must separate, or Esau, i.e. the flesh and sin, will in time overtake and kill him. Jacob is the type of God's elect, known from the womb, known, in fact, from the beginning of time. God has and continues to desire to work in Jacob's life. This sense of desire on God's part towards Jacob, and by extension every would-be child of God, is vocalized in the Targums as God's shortening of the day in order to commune with Jacob. God's desire is to fellowship with his creation. Then Jacob, like every believer, comes to a, quote, certain, unquote, appointed place. This place is a real place, somewhere geographically, but it is also a place which is spiritually significant because God is present there doing something unique. The rabbis are, with all due respect, very close on this point. The substance gets lost when they, or we, try to reconcile the belief that the certain place is Mount Moriah or Jerusalem, when in most estimations Bethel or Luz is too far away for the two to be synonymous. In order to reconcile them, some rabbinic commentators refer to God, quote, folding, unquote, the earth, and or miraculously bringing the two geographical locations into one place. But again, respectfully, this is not necessary. Instead, I believe that God uses the type of this, quote, certain place, unquote, 
and the dream or vision of the latter to prophetically demonstrate the substance of Jesus' future propitiatory sacrifice on the cross at Calvary, which was located in Mount Moriah. Hence, perhaps what is being folded is not geography, but time. God takes Jacob some 1,800 years into the future to an analogy or type of the crucifixion and Jesus' atoning work. As Jacob arrives at the certain place, it is nighttime. It is dark. Perhaps this agrees with the fact that prior to Jesus' completed work, we were all separated by sin and rebellion. We, spiritually speaking, were in darkness. In any case, Jacob is said to take stones, plural, for a pillow. After his dream, he arises, as does the sun. Now in daylight, he takes one stone, singular, which he sets up for an altar and anoints it. I can't help but be reminded that Jesus himself refers to himself many times as, quote, the rock, unquote, or, quote, the stone, unquote. Not only so, but we are told in Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, Mark chapter 12, verse 10, and Luke chapter 20, verse 17, that, quote, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes, unquote. Throughout Scripture, God's elect, His people, both the house of Israel and the church, i.e. His outcalled ones, are euphemistically referred to many times as, quote, living, unquote, or, quote, lively stones, unquote, whom theologically God forms, cuts, and selects to be His collective house or temple where His glory abides, Within every temple or structure of stone, there is always what is referred to as a, quote, chief, unquote, or, quote, cornerstone, unquote, which is the key or the foundation upon which the house or temple at large rests. Peter refers to this truth in his first epistle, chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, quote, To whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed." Unquote. It is clear from this, as well as other verses, that it has from the beginning of time been God's desire to dwell in fellowship among His people. 
one might say that God has created the uh, quarry of this world in and from which, according to his own good pleasure and counsel, he chooses whom he wills as his elect. Like stone from the quarry, he selects, cuts, refines, anoints, and finishes each in order to set those stones together as one body, the outcalled ones, the church. Individually and collectively, these living stones are his temple whereby his will, his glory will shine. In this temple, there is, as always, a foundation, a cornerstone, without which the temple cannot stand. This one stone, the chief stone, is Jesus. As in the tradition, the stones, particularly the chief stone, Jesus, were there from the beginning. Perhaps the four stones represent all God's elect from the four corners of the earth. Perhaps like the four stones, God's elect become one body, i.e. the church, the bride, in Christ, whom is the chief cornerstone. Jacob's stone, like Christ's, is anointed and is set up as an altar upon which Jesus, the chief and high priest, makes atonement with his own blood to cover our sins. There, upon that altar, Jesus offers himself and his blood that we may be reconciled to fellowship with God. This concludes this episode. Please join me again for part two. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. The, the